Hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made. I'm Olivia, and each week we go behind the scenes of the Canadian entertainment industry to learn how Canadian film and television is made. This week on the podcast, we have a VFX specialist, Brian Huynh, who is the managing director of Playfight VFX. Playfight is a boutique visual effects studio based in Toronto, specializing in streamlined solutions for productions of all sizes. So in this episode, Brian helps us understand what VFX is and what exactly it is that they do and how they make movie magic come alive. We also talk about the VFX industry at large and some of the challenges that they face and how COVID has affected how he now manages his business. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Brian. I'm so excited to uh, talk all about VFX and everything. So thank you for joining. The big black box. No problem. No, literally. I have to tell you, like, I spent probably like the whole weekend trying to read as much as I could about VFX. You guys have this like amazing YouTube channel where you break things down. And let me tell you, like, I am no closer to understanding anything. Um, yeah, that's, that's generally <laughs> how it goes for most conversation I have with anyone that's not in the industry, but yes, that's correct. Well, hopefully you'll be able to, um, you know, give us some insight and some, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do my best at, at, at best. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I got into VFX serendipitously. So, which is like a very eloquent way of saying by accident, I was, my background actually was mostly photography, uh, commercial, doing a lot of art direction for like things like fashion films and things like um, uh, being like PA on set. And that was like a lot of my early career was, was based on that because I was hell bent on being a photographer back when I was like just getting out of university. And then um, I connected with Playfight through uh, my brother and they were looking for kind of like a, a production assistant and kind of like a, a person you understand f- uh, film, TV and commercial from the production side to kind of join the team. Because at that time they were doing play fight was working with a lot of digital media people in, in the YouTube space. And, and they are, and we were kind of like embarking on our own kind of short lived YouTube uh, uh, channel. And so I got, got brought on as that. And then after that kind of, after that stage of kind of all of our careers, we, we kind of went back into visual effects proper for, for TV and film. And I kind of just, with the ease that I had, just kind of talking to people and working with, with the team and stuff like that, I kind of just fell into a producer role primarily and just kind of being the, the VFX producer on, 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 on our side, on the, on the, on the vendor side, um, which eventually just kind of grew and grew and grew from there in terms of scope and my, my, my responsibilities from now. So nowadays I'm kind of like the managing director, I'm still the lead producer. And then now more than any time, uh, more than anything actually is I, I kind of find myself on set more kind of merging my VFX knowledge as well as my set knowledge now as a VFX supervisor. That's really interesting. And such a, I think I, every story I hear with people working in VFX, it's by accident. They didn't necessarily aim to be there, but it's where they ended up. And I find that quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find when you're like, kind of in this Gen X and millennial range, uh, um, vi- visual effects was never like 
a clear route as it is now for like people going through school and obviously just with the democratization of how much visual effects is in media nowadays. But usually you started out doing one thing and then it kind of just went to, oh, okay, like here's this cool tool, here's this cool program and I'm going to learn a little bit more about it. And lo and behold, all of a sudden you've just taken on a position at a, at a VFX studio and all of a sudden you're you're working on a TV show. But a lot of the routes to visual effects are so varied and people just kind of end up falling into it. And as well as to be a producer, pretty much in anything, just the role of producer itself, you kind of end up falling into that as well. So I've, I've, I felt like I kind of fell into both of those roles simultaneously. I know that PlayFi does a number of different services. So, so maybe to start then, mm-hmm. you can walk us through the different services that PlayFi offers yeah, yeah. And, and then how they all work together to sure. how you ultimately find your place in a production. Yeah. So, so just, just to kind of set a, set a foundation, I'm strictly speaking kind of like from a, a boutique visual effects studio perspective. So we're a small team. Um, a lot of the times we're wearing multiple hats and a lot of the times, you know, our, our relationship to the client and let's say in this exercise, I'll, I'll pretend you're the client and then you'll, we'll kind of just walk through how I kind of like break something down together. And so that's that's kind of like my standpoint. The bigger you are, obviously, it will be much different. And if you're a freelancer, obviously, that's much different, too. But let's say, you know, Olivia, you came up to me and you're a producer and you say, hey, we have this job. Um, it's like a, it's a sci-fi or it's a horror or whatever have you. And, you know, can you can you help out? And so the answer, obviously, will be, yes, I'd love to help out. Let's go through that because of the motions. And it'll, it'll, it'll start from number of two ways. Either the thing will have already, the production or show will have already been shot and there are things for me to review. And then I can actually review it with the team and go and break it down. Or it'll be in most cases in script form or a storyboard form. And I'm going to have to read it and play it out in my own head and, and make a whole number of assumptions on how it's going to go. But let's say in this case, the scene is a dragon flies through the air. It, it, it breathes fire and makes something explode. And so let's, let's strictly talk about like that one scene in the script, or I'm looking at it and you've already shot it or, or you've already shot what you think should go there. This is where, again, both sides of me have to go into play. And we kind of have, I have to marry both sides where I'm simultaneously asking you very key things in terms of money and budget. But then the other side of me is like, okay, but how do we make this dragon really cool? And so I will go through things, just on the creative side, I will go through things like, okay, describe this dragon to me. How do you want this dragon to look? Is How big is this dragon? Uh, uh, and I will go through every single question to kind of gauge creatively what you want this dragon to look like. And that's going to come with a plethora of images, references, video, everything out there. Because the biggest hurdle that I find creatively is like, hey, um, it's going to blow fire. Now, your definition of fire, my definition of fire is going to be very different. Like your color red, my color red, or orange or yellow or whatever fire you want, going to be very different. And that's why this is actually more of the producer side of me. And I have to go, okay, I have to just somehow distill your language and make sure we are talking about the same thing, which is why I'm like going to throw as many dragon movies as you as possible, as many images of dragons as possible. Is it like this? Is it like that? When you say fire, is it smoldering like this? And you go, no, it's smoldering like that. And I go, okay, this is our benchmark. This is, and then I have to find a way into your brain as quickly as possible and distill what you're trying to, what you're trying to figure out. And then from there, I take all that information and then the creative side kind of spits out, okay, here's how I think 
it should look. Here's the, here's how, here's how I think that it'll get done. And creatively, here's like, it's going to swoop in like this and it's going to, going to pivot left, pivot right, juke this, and then it's going to come in and breathe that fire. And then I'll just kind of sell it to you. Depending on the production, that can either be a conversation, it can be a storyboard, it can be a pre-visualization, um, which is another way of just saying, like, I'm going to rough it out in CG with blocks and, like, really, really temp models, just to kind of give you an idea of where I'm coming from. And then if, the, if it hasn't been shot yet, then there's the production side of me that goes okay well i need to be on set and when we're shooting these plates so basically when we're shooting the sky or wherever we are then i need this whole plethora of things done and all this information ready so that when we can do it we will do it and that's i feel uh, and then and then we kind of go from there and again the producer side of me is going okay well this is kind of the expectation and a level of realism and the creative that you want. This is kind of, and now this is what I've pitched to you that I think is manageable. And then now I have to go, okay, well, the technical side has to go, okay, well, in order to achieve that level of fire and in order to achieve that level of realism, I need X amount of artists for X amount of time and X amount of budget. And somehow all that needs to make sense. And then we go back and forth for however many times it takes until we go, oh, okay, then yeah, let's do it. That is so long-winded, but I feel like, I hope that's painted somewhat of a picture. No, it really does. Because I think that, I think that we don't really know what VFX articulates. And when I honestly, I didn't imagine a world in which someone already has a movie and then comes to you after the fact for you to then just put a dragon in. Like, to me, that seems crazy. Yeah. But that's normal. (laughs) Well, I mean, it depends on the show. For instance, in TV, I probably won't be contacted until after the show is shot or while it's well in its way being shot. However, the production site itself will also have their own VFX supervisors. Now, that could be covered, like, for instance, I can also be embedded in the production as well, but traditionally in most TV shows, the TV show will just hire their own team just to be their team. Uh, and then they'll reach out to vendors who will then say, hey, what's going on, Brian? Hey, what's going on, Play Fight? We, we've, we've shot these things as perfectly as we possibly can. We've prepped it in a way. And here's the creative. Um, can you guys do it? And we go, yes or no, or yes, but. And then we go from there. So yeah, there's there's so many. And, and that's kind of like the, the TV route. In a movie route, again, same thing. You can have a production side visual effects uh, supervisor, producer, editor, what have you. And then you reach out to a whole bunch of studios. So yeah, there's, we can come on at, at all different points of the production. And also a lot of the times, you know, a lot of features will shoot something and they won't even realize they need visual effects until after the fact. So you go through that and you go, oh my gosh, there's so many mistakes here that we couldn't get done. Or there's a boom mic there and there's all these weird reflections happening and you see the crew in the reflection of the mirror here, we got to take them out. And then, then you would just casually reach out to a visual extra and be like, hey, we have a bunch of these things. Can you help us? And the answer is always, yeah, of course, let's go through them. Amazing. So it's, so your services range anywhere from, you know, bringing crazy wars and fights to life to literally moving, a, removing a crew member who just happens to be in a shot. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there, there's, there's nothing too big, nothing too small when it comes to what the purview of visual effects is. Like there's instances where we just have to remove, you know, acne from people, or we just have to make it look like there's something that is not there. That is, that was there at the day. So again, some of the best visual effects 
are the ones that you don't realize are visual effects. And so, yeah, it can range from, again, the dragon that flies through the sky, or it's just like, hey, here's a beautiful vista, and we need you to believe that we were actually there. Or there wasn't 50,000 people in the crowd or something like that, or something, or we need you to add 50,000 people to the crowd, things like that. So, okay, on your website, Mm -hmm. under services, you have something called digital composition and something else called CG and animation. So for a novice like myself, can you kind of break down what each is and and when you use both? Yeah. So for instance, um, I'll take like a current project that we we, we did, which was like say a code eight, which was a bunch of robots, just basically these police robots. And so what will happen first is my CG teams will end up starting first. And what they do is they will create the robot in a 3D, in a 3D program. And so how they'll just make it how it looks. You'll have another artist or potentially the same artist who is just focused on rigging. And the rigging is essentially giving that robot a skeleton. So you have like the beauty facade of the outside. Then you have to work on the inside of the robot, which is a rig. And then you may end up either with another artist or doing it yourself. You hand it off for someone to um, to light it, so essentially, or to, to to give it texture, to give it light. So essentially, if the model was like a gray model, it was literally just like a clay statue, and then basically the texture artist and the lighter is essentially going to give it to make it look like metal, to make it look like cloth, to make it look like, and then to give it you know, um, rough edges and to make it look worn in, to make it look realistic, essentially, like photo real. And then finally, you know, you hand it off to an animator to animate it. The animator, it doesn't actually come last, but they, everyone kind of slots in at very different po- points, but I'm kind of just trying to, min- I'm trying to like bake it down for you. But basically the animator will just take that and then insert it into the scene. <laughs> After that, then the digital compositors will take everything that everyone has done up until that point and when I say composite, composite literally just means layer it in and to make it as seamless as possible to integrate everything they've done to look as real as possible. So they're literally the kind of the last person or one of the last people there who kind of just puts the final touches and to kind of like make it look like it's like it's real. So that when you see this robot coming into a scene and they're standing beside a human, like it doesn't look wrong. Um, it just looks like it matches. It looks like it's supposed to be there. So the lighting matches, the scale matches. It doesn't look like it's flowing around in the air. Um, it's very real. It's very grounded. Um, so that takes, yeah, it takes a, it takes a small town to kind of get something that is CG heavy out, out of there. But then for instance, you have, you have jobs where I only need a digital compositor and that's even things as basic as say like, um, a screen replace. So when people are like on their phones, there's a good chance nothing is on their phone. So we would just put that on their phone or put it, whatever we need to on the TV. Um, and that's usually, uh, and that's usually just like digital compositing. So it's like a wide range of things. And depending on the shot could be one person, it could be 30, uh, depending on what you're trying to do. But is there any task that you've encountered where you thought we're going to do this? but it is nearly impossible. Um, I mean, I think <laughs> a lot of the times whenever you go bigger in scope, that's usually, like, usually there'll be someone along the way that says, no, we should not do this. And then again, you have the creative side that goes, no, we need to do this. And that'll be that internal struggle for about a week. 
you know, we've taken on a number of projects where, you know, of course the odds felt insurmountable or the, or the work felt, or the work felt overwhelming. And in some cases it worked out amazingly. In other cases, like we were completely burned by it. And visual effects is also one of those industries where sometimes you don't know until you're in it because the, the, the complications and, and, and just the sheer technical prowess of the creative creative solves that you need to do, you know, you won't uncover them. You won't run into them until you're well deep into trying to figure out how to make the shot work or things like that. Like, you know, for instance, there are so many ways, if you look at like the, 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 the tentpole movies of say like a Marvel film, they will previs so much of it before you even get to camera. And even then, once you've shot it, they've, probably already thrown out half of it and then you may end up having to start over again just because of how fast the industry moves and so you kind of have to be really nimble about that and you have to find ways to work lean and also try to take care of yourself at the same time because you know visual effects the unfortunate thing about visual effects is you can literally do anything and then people often see visual effects as kind of like an out or as like a really strong accessory to what you're doing so it's a very fluid and very collaborative process. And you kind of have to like really keep your, keep an eye on the expectations of, okay, we're doing something crazy and we are going to try to figure out all the ways in which we can get boned by this. And then think of however many contingencies along the way to kind of like pad yourself to be like, I think we're going to be okay here. And then you will probably run into 90% of them, but the end result of it and the experience that you have with it after you've kind of gone through it enough times and you kind of know where all the pitfalls are, it's like, it's, it's still extremely rewarding, but it's a very, it can be a very hard earned process to kind of get to that point where it's like, I think I know what this entails, which again, it goes back to my conversations with you as a client where I'm also trying to suss out where, how easy it is to work with you and where, where your level of, I guess, where your level of expectation is as well. Because again, I can work with someone who has, extremely high expectations and maybe their dollar amount doesn't quite match those expectations and you're trying to you're trying to battle it out so you're you're trying to assess the production saying okay the production can either be very easy to work with it can be very difficult to work with and even the difficult ones are still fine to work with as long as you understand what those challenges are it's just visual effects management half the time is just managing expectations and trying to buy your team as much time as humanly possible to get what they need to get done because it's Again, it takes a town to, to kind of get some of the heavier stuff completed. In preparing for this episode, I actually found this Freakonomics podcast episode, which I'm not sure if you've listened to, but it's mm-hmm. called um, No Hollywood Ending for the Visual Effects Industry. And it talks about um, kind of the mass exodus that happened from uh, California of the of the visual effects industry to yeah. different, you know, service providers, Canada obviously being among them. And although, you know, this podcast that I listened to was from 2017, it seems like a lot of the same issues still persist in the uh, VFX community. So I'm curious, you know, if you mm-hmm. can speak to the state of the industry generally and, and your experience specifically in Canada and how that kind of helps. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a really loaded subject only because depending on your size. Extremely loaded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean and, to and put you on blast or anything. No, not at all. <laughs> it, it, it's, these are things that we kind of like me in my position, I kind of have to think about every day and and it's how thoughtful you want to be as a business owner, as well as just like, just to be in this industry, because as, as we know, film, film in general can be a very unforgiving place and it's very high stress and visual effects is 
uh, no stranger to that as well. It's very much in line with that. But and so there's one avenue where it's like, oh, we are a, I guess, an un, a non-unionized industry in a very unionized space. So that's one area in which there's a pain point. And the difficulty of that part is like, because and again, the, the greatest part and the worst part of visual effects is it's so democratized, anyone can do it anywhere. And so any production can say, if you guys don't want to give it to me at that cost, I'll just take it to this company or I will take it to a different country. And so you're, you're, and so that it's hard for a union to protect you from that. Whereas say like the grip and camera department have to be in the city. So of course we have to protect them, but the visual effects can be anywhere. And so that's a difficult part. And also like visual effects companies themselves can have obviously been, you know, under fire for, for numerous reasons when it comes to the way they treat their own employees and things like that. And, and like, like, as transparency, like we've gone through all those pitfalls. There's areas in which we've, I think we've succeeded very well. And then in the historical context of the company, I think there's ways in which we could have done, done a lot better, but those were the pitfalls of just growing as a company and me specifically just kind of growing as a, as a leader and, and as someone who is, who entered this industry almost from an outsider point of view, again, I fell into this. So I'm seeing all this happen in real time and trying to say, okay, well, how do I want to move forward into this? And, and a big part of play fight, why I've kind of kept things as at a boutique level is because the larger, the larger you go, the more dangerous it can become, the more, the more stakes are higher. And, um, the larger the problems become and finding a way to thoughtfully do that in visual effects is challenging. Um, the way that I sometimes describe visual effects when it comes to some of the crazier productions is it's a Wallace and Gromit skit. I don't know if you, if you remember Wallace and Gromit, they were like these claymate, this claymation guy and his dog. It was like this English thing. I loved it. And there's this one skit where he's on a train. He's, just, he's on this train and he's laying down his own track as the train is going and cause he can't stop the train. And sometimes that can be what like some of the crazier productions are like, it's like you can't stop the train and you're desperately trying to put things in front of yourself so that you don't derail. And I find the larger it is. And again, you know, it, it could be that it could be that. I remember pre pandemic, there was a time in which, you know, play fight was trying to figure out, what the next move was, how we needed to thoughtfully move forward, the way that which in which we were trying to take care of ourselves, because burnout is very real in our industry. Um, taking care of oneself is is hard, and there was a time where I think all of us collectively felt really deflated by the industry. Uh, just frankly speaking, it was just like there was there were elements of it that was very unforgiving. There were projects that um, there were fine projects on their own, but when you are at a certain level, you're you might be juggling three to five projects at the same time if you're a larger studio that can easily be 12 plus and so that can be draining in its own way so you you know we were at the stage where we're all kind of taking a look at each other and you know how do we do this thoughtfully how do we how do we grow as a company but also you know and again when you're dealing with like a high stress industry it's like how do you keep your soul i guess you know like without without burning out again and again and again because it kind of felt like that in certain times of my career where it was just like, okay, and I'm jumping to the next show and then what? And then I'm going to grind and grind and grind and grind and it's, and it's going to wear me out. And then I'm going to have to go away for a, a month and kind of reset, but then I do it all over again. And I found <laughs> as, as morbid as it sounds, the pandemic might've been a good thing for at least us 
because it it we we were it, we had enough projects to ride out things for a pretty long time. Um, even when things were very uncertain, it was just it was kind of a moment where we had to go. I think this is the time where we need to stop, take a long, good long look at ourselves, reevaluate our relationships with everyone in the industry, reevaluate our our relationships with ourselves, with our jobs, and how do we want to move forward with that? Because you know, visual effects, the demand for it is only getting higher. It's only becoming more. You know, you often hear about visual effects company either either going out of business because of the volume they weren't able to keep it up or something happened or even back in the day where the recession happened, a lot of studios got wiped out from the recession because of tax credit money. So there's also these government things and financial things in play when you're running a company like, like, like visual effects. So, you know, I, we opted to kind of take a step back and to actually slow our pace and to choose our projects a little bit more thoughtfully, even if it is at the detriment of, say, more financial security, like having more runway and just being able to see further into the future. And I'm okay with that, knowing that the projects that we're doing and the life that we are sustaining is is, is in a good place, which is, again, a 100% from a place of privilege. And I understand that, like, I can make these calls because we had, because of all the work that we've done uh, up until this point and, Again, it was a it was an amazing experience. It was a painful experience, all in all in the same time. But you know, we we it was it was a decision that I could only make collectively with the team. And it was like, hey, listen, if this is the way we're going to go, this is the way we're going to go. But just know that in the ways that it will be amazing, it will also hurt in some other ways. Or it's like there's going to be amazing moves that we can make here, and not so much uh, here that we were used to before. So it's I'm constantly trying to renegotiate my experience as an artist, as, as a supervisor, but also just as how to run this company in the visual effects space, which is why oftentimes I feel like I'm not exactly a typical company in the grander scheme of VFX vendors in the, in the city. Cause some, some of the biggest issues, they don't have a choice, but to run the way that they are. Cause when you, when you take on a certain scale of project, you just have to be a certain way. You know, when you're say you're, you're a McDonald's, you have to run, in a very specific way to the standard and everything. And it doesn't matter where you are, that's how you do it. But then if you're like a mom and pop store, you you can run by your own rules. You may not have the same reach and you may not want that same reach, but there's there's room to play there so long as you know how to manage things right. I think, you know, being at the helm, being the managing director, you have so much responsibility for your artists and your employees because I think in an industry that's well known for getting extremely burnt out and having all these really high pressure deadlines, you know, the whole, the, <laughs> you end up putting the film on your back or the production on your back at the end of sure. it. And you have certain timelines to meet. And there's a lot of people that you're accountable to. And so I'm sure that when the rubber hits the road, you guys all feel the pressure to get things done, that you're willing to put in the long hours to make things work. And I think it's awesome that, that you're, you know, the people who work at play fight have you to protect them uh, through that, that tough time, because it's, it, I imagine it's a, a lot of pressure. Yeah. It, it's, it's one that like, I mean, I can't even say that I, uh, I'm the sole reason for that. Again, I I'm supported by really, really amazing people across the play fight team and and it's these are decisions that we can all make together because we I I, I kind of treat it very much like collective now where it's like I can't you guys maybe may not be able to do what I can but I can't do what you guys can either there's a there's a there's a 
a very open dialogue that I have with the team regards that, which, which again is not traditional in a lot of visual effects studios or just businesses in general. But it's one of those things where I'm actively trying to choose the people first. And that is, I think, where a lot of a lot of the bad stories come from. And and um and the stories of which, you know, the pitfalls of the visual effects community. And and like there's and I say that from experience and I say that from knowing like I I've 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 had the successes, I've made those mistakes, and this is kind of like the, the foot forward that I want to put from this point on. And so that it becomes hard, hard lessons hard learned, I think. And yeah, trying to navigate that because it, it's it can admittedly be not so much of a minefield. I feel like that's the wrong thing to say, but like there's definitely ways to go, and there's definitely ways in which you can set yourself up for not sorry, not set yourself up for success by taking on this by certain jobs that may have a huge financial benefit, but at the cost of maybe the team. And so, yeah, a lot of things to weigh out when you're, when you're, when you're in, when you're trying to make these high level decisions for that will play out for a job that could take six to 12 months of the year. I I, I think the days of blindly grinding are, 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 are numbered. I would say, you know, back, back, back in the day, you'd go like, Oh, I'm, I'm just grinding it out. I'm grinding it out. I have how many hustles, this and this and that. And then again, and again, after a month, you're dead and you go away for a month. Or, or it's like, again, like the, the easiest facsimile that I can make for this is like, if you are, if you are, are, are following any YouTubers or anyone in the digital space and you see them releasing videos weekly, releasing videos daily. And then I inevitably wait for that one video where it goes, Hey guys, I'm going to take a break. You know, I'm really burnt out this and this and that. And then they go, yeah, I was waiting for that because boundaries are so hard to kind of like maintain for yourself uh, and also to maintain in this industry. And, and, and again, I think people are getting, especially younger workers now, and especially people who've been in the industry for a long time, they're, they're finding what those boundaries are to kind of instill their own balance in, in themselves. Cause again, vi- visual effects, if unmanaged, will just keep taking, taking, taking from you, mm-hmm. from your, from your skill to, to your, to your time, to your age. Um, and you have to be as, as, as an employee, as a business owner, like you kind of have to play into all that and you kind of have to respect all these things because it's, 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 and especially now where, you know, the circumstances of working have completely changed from work from home and we are all renegotiating and, or have reestablished what our work-life balance is. And as a company, you have to follow that. And again, those problems are still very prevalent, but I think nowadays people are being way more actively vocal about how they feel about it. Uh, and, and, you know, people are faster to put companies, you know, in check over that and with good reason, you know, if you're not being a good employer, uh, you should be, you know, you, you should be put on notice in a respectful way, I think. And as an employer, you kind of have to kind of have to make sure that the jobs that you are taking are sustainable for the company, sustainable for your people. It's, it's tough. Again, I say that I'm, I have to speak on behalf of the, of, of the employees and I have to be their, their, their advocate, but I'm, I've learned now to be very careful in which, how to frame the company as a whole. Like, you know, when you're a startup, when you're small, especially at a size of us, it's very easy to say we're a family and like this and this and that. And I actually actively avoid saying that because that's a double-edged sword. You know, sometimes when you say you're a family and you're so tight knit and stuff, it's, a, it's also a recipe to take advantage of people to say, Hey, like, 
and then you feel like you got to stay late because then if 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 you leave then i'm here for longer or like that's one example there and it's like i i have to maintain a professional work workplace environment i have i can have familial aspects of it and familial vibes of it but i can't lean on that and you and i have to practice those boundaries as well because even again we're so small that everyone's wearing a million hats but at the end of the day i always have to remind people hey on the weekend even if i talk to you you're not obligated to talk to me back and that's okay five years ago brian that might have been a different story you know that might have been like a oh you need to talk to me or like i need to talk to you things like that but like again you you have to Every time, you know, you we, we finish a job, we kind of have to take a step back and look at it and be like, how did that job go? What are the good things and bad things about that job? And how do we go into the next job feeling energized, reinvigorated, rested, but also just learning from our ways on, on that last one? Yeah, I love that. It sounds like you've got a great workplace culture, honestly. It, it's in progress. I'm trying. It, it's one yeah, of those and, things like it'll never be But that's be the most important thing, right? Is that you're taking a stock of where you are and you're asking yourself, how do I get better every single time? And that's mm-hmm. like that's key, in my opinion. And I think it's a really good reminder to a lot of people who are working in the entertainment industry that, you know, although it's a passion project most often, if you can't forget about, you know, yourself and taking, you know, taking care of yourself and, and remembering your boundaries. I think it's a really good reminder. So also, if I may, mm-hmm. I want to spend a moment talking about being a Canadian in the VFX space and how, yeah. you know, tax credits and financing play into, you know, the success of PlayFight. You know, it, it's funny because when you're a visual effects company, and again, the, the, the pitfalls is saying, is anyone saying I can take this job elsewhere and to a different country? But also I, as a, as a visual VFX studio, I have clients in, in the States. I have clients all around the world. I can take on those very easily. Not only am I, not only am I not limited by, by, by the borders of, 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 of Canada, but you know, for the jobs that I do take in Canada, the government tax credits are, 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 are kind of a, a beneficial thing. And again, it's it's one of those things where I have to be very respectful of it and I have to make sure that I'm doing it properly and and everything is above board because at the end of the day, this is tax money. These are people who work for this and giving their money over. So again, though that's something that I I I treat with with a lot of respect. Um, because there's a lot of people in the industry that'll just say, oh don't worry, the tax credit money will will handle it. But I'm like, yeah, there, but there's very real practices and very real protocols that need to happen in order to get that money. And so, for instance, on on certain jobs, there's a certain percentage of of labor of people who are either within Ontario or in Canada that you can get back from the government. And that that is usually something you can apply for after the fact. But again, it just helps build that buffer and build that runway and allow for you as an industry and as 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 a as a company to kind of just make better decisions and make make better financial decisions for the company's future. You know, for the Canadian industry, again, it's it's you have a tax credit on the production side. So, for instance, if there's a visual effects shot, and again, we're going back to the dragon, we're going back to the dragon. You're helping me do this dragon shot. Everyone who who is on this list of eligible tax credits who helped me do that on the production side, they are also eligible for a tax credit. And then me in the post side, I also have a tax credit. And again, it's it's meant to encourage and promote local labor and, and the local workforce here in, in Canada and stuff like that. And that's why it's very important. It's an elusive thing. It gets misused and misinterpreted very often. And so luckily there's people who I have on, on my side who, who give very thoughtful advice on how to use it and when to use it and the best way to apply it, apply for it. 
but yeah, like it's, it's usually at, at the stage of, uh, of which we do business and I'm doing a, and I'm doing a production in Canada or I'm just doing post-production in Canada. Um, it's always something that is in the contract. It's always something that gets discussed when we get to the nitty gritty of the financial aspect of the job. Absolutely. And I'm sure it helps make your company more competitive when you're talking about international bids because you have access to that tax credit. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, for instance, the production can still be shot in a different country, but if you take the entirety of post, so that includes visual effects, editorial, sound, all that, and you and you you do it all in 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 Canada, then, yes, you are eligible for very, very specific and certain tax breaks or tax credits. Mm. It's interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people get tripped up in how that all works. So it's nice that you have that facet of your services that is dedicated towards giving advice to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, you, you, you don't want to mess around with it. Um, it, it's something that, that simultaneously piques everyone's interest and also freaks them out at the same time. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's, you, if, if, if it needs to get brought up, you better know what you're talking about, or you better be very thoughtful in which, how you reply to it too. So it's like, there's, there's, it's another tool that has allowed a lot of Canadian filmmakers in, in a lot of productions to kind of extend, extend what they have and to kind of be able to sustain themselves. And the government is, has always been very gracious about that. So um, it's great. What is a moment in your career that you are most proud of? There was a project that we did for, um, for this video game, actually. It was called uh, Titanfall. And it was a client that we found through a cold email. And it was one of those things where I was like, that doesn't quite happen anymore. It doesn't, it's a, it, it was one of those things where, again, in my, in my career, I've either felt like I've fallen upward in life or I've fallen into something. And that was one of those things where we were playing this video game. It was a brand new video game. We decided to say, hey, can we do something for you? And it was a cold email. And it was a per- it just happened to be the perfect time for them as a company and a perfect time for us as a company to kind of like join hands and try to and do something together. But it was one of the few times where like the team was 100% on board. We loved everything that we did. We innovated. It was, again, that perfect time in our careers where I, I can bleed a little bit more for this one because I know... Uh, I, I know what's at stake and I know the end result is going to be amazing. And the work was, and the work was something that we were actually very proud of. And again, the collaboration that we had with that client was also something that was really, really awe-inspiring for us as well. So it was like, I usually, I remember during that time, it was like, I need, I, I was, that was my unicorn client. And I was like, I need to keep following. and I need to keep getting jobs like that. I don't necessarily think we can even do a project like that again, just because of, again, the timeline, the, the time in which it happened in our lives, we had very, we had, we had much less uh, uh, adult responsibilities at that time, I would say. And so again, the grind was acceptable for, our, for that time in our lives, but the work and uh, the, the, the accolades that we received and how well we were just, just purely from an artistic standpoint, we we're just really happy with the work that we did for that client. It was kind of a, a temple for me just because of the way that I was producing that one as well. It's funny when I ask people about their proudest moment, it's often the case that it's not the biggest production that they worked on, but an experience that was maybe the no. most fun or gave personal gratification in some way. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's always sentimentality. Uh, it's always it's always the way in which it personally made you feel. That's never often the case with the large productions. Like these are the ones where it's just like, I, 
we generally bootstrapped it. We were just trying to figure things out. We didn't actually have all the tools. We were being resourceful. It was one of those things where you went back to basics where it's like, I don't actually know how to do this. And I said, yes, but that's okay. And so that that's probably one of the reasons why it was it was receivable so well. Because again, we, we took a lot of risks and, and it paid off. What is a piece of Canadian content that you would recommend? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, I would recommend a film called Code 8. Um, it's a film that we did the visual effects on. It is a Canadian piece of content directed by Jeff Chan and his writing partner, Chris Pare, starring uh, Robbie Amell, Stephen Amell. That was also a, a career highlight, I would say, very close to the number one. But that's a Canadian piece of content that's currently on Netflix, on Crave here in Canada. And we're actually actively working on the sequel right now. So what does the process of the sequel look like? Are you on set with them? Yeah, this was one of those, again, it's 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 a bit of a unicorn for us because I'm we've literally taken on every conceivable position that we could possibly take on a production from a visual effects standpoint. So myself and my head of production, Sophia Lee, we were the VFX supervisors on set. I was very hands-on when it came to um, uh, designing some of the action, uh, storyboarding. You know, Chris and, and, and Jeff were very, very... Uh, thoughtful and very, very collaborative people to work with, and to and to and we're just very, very open to kind of our ideas and to say, hey, listen, in this action beat or in this story beat, I think X should happen, or I think this person should do X instead. And again, it was a very, very organic process in that sense, which again takes many years and many projects to kind of build up. But we kind of got to that stage where it's like, hey, let's have a very meaningful and collaborative, you know, discussion about this. And and again, on set. Again, very collaborative with all the departments, DOP to the grips, to the to the gaffers, and again, very close with the stunt people and the SFX, because again, a lot of our worlds intertwine, especially on a film like this. So I'm as strong as them, they're as strong as me, and we have to kind of be really in sync with each other when we're saying, okay, we're going to do this crazy stunt, but then at this point, I need you to take over. Or I'm like, I'm going to do this crazy effect, but in order to do that, I need this from you. And those are the kind of conversations that we're able to have. Um, which again, like we had, we had like a, a decent budget on this, but you know, in some cases you're kind of having these conversations that are more indicative of like, say like an independent film where everyone's just being a little bit more guerrilla about things. So we're trying to find that striking that balance between that. But, uh, and again, now we're in post, um, it's very common for myself or, or, or some of the leads to kind of sit down in the editorial room and to kind of help mold, uh, some of the scenes that involve a lot of visual effects, which again is a very big treat for us because one, it allows me to kind of gauge how much work is ahead of me. So it's not just land, it just doesn't just land on my desk and say, here's the, here's the movie. And I go, Oh no. Um, but also again, I, I like to be able to be thoughtful about the, the solves and the creative, even during editorial. So it's like, I often say the earlier you can get me in there, a, the more interesting we can make it and or the more money we can save just because I will know the solves ahead of time. Um, and that's kind of what that's kind of what this experience that I've had with Jeff Chan, the director, has been on other projects we worked on, on Code A, and especially on this one. That's amazing. So I have one last question. Mm-hmm. Do you hate it when people on set say, well, we can fix it in post? <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't hate it with a big asterisk. I don't hate it. It depends on how it gets used. I think my new favorite now, I mean, it's, it's become so ironic now that you kind of expect it, or I just, I abuse it so much now that people just want to hear me say it. 
Um, so maybe I've reclaimed it for, for the VFX industry. I have no idea, but my, my favorite happening now is it's actually when, when people say nothing, it's actually like something's happening and I can, and I already know that we're, we're heading towards a point where I'm like, I think they're going to ask me something and you're standing there and either the day, so something's been, we've been boned by something. The the sun is leaving. We got to get out of here, but there's still a crazy effect thing. And they go, well, maybe we can do this visual effects. And I just slowly see all the side eyes just kind of like kind of pointing my way and no one says anything. And then finally someone will go, Hey, Brian, I go, yeah, we can do it. And they go, Oh, thank God. And that's usually my favorite now. Or I go, and yeah. So, um, and again, I like, I don't like saying no, which is why, again, I like being on set because I like to get ahead of the problem before it happens. And as some of the people put it like, yeah, play fight usually says yes. But then when they say no, they really mean it and we cannot do it. But yeah, that's usually my favorite now. Do like, Fix it in post. That's no, it's no, it comes with the territory. So it's like, <laughs> you can't even get mad about it. It's, but that one's my new favorite. That's the one I go, <sighs> I see the side eyes. Do you just hold the pause as long as humanly possible so that everyone's like holding their breath? And then finally you're like, it's definitely okay. a card. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely <laughs> a card I can use. Uh, there's definitely been dramatic pauses for sure. When I get the side eye and everyone goes, uh, uh, and I go, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I just milk it. Even though it's like, it could just be like a really like a one hour solve on my side, but I need them to know, I'm doing this favor for them. Yeah. That's usually what I'm, what I, what I'm trying to instill in the production. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was so much fun. I learned a ton about VFX. I have a much better idea. You didn't confuse me more. I feel like I'm on, (laughs) I'm on, I'm on track now. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, 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 Thank you so much for for having me on. I feel like we, we, we dealt with some lightsaber and also dealt with like a very heavy one that I feel like, went through like the psyche of me as a, as, as a business owner. But um, in general, I'm very fortunate. I'm in this industry. I love this industry very much. And it's, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and so, but again, thank you so much for bringing me on. I hope, uh, I hope the people listening on your side learned something too as well. <laughs>